0: Hi, I'm Shalisha Baxi Ritchie.
1: And I'm her co host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens.
0: Spoiler alert, we are sisters.
1: And best friends.
0: We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved, we had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast.
1: Then during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a
0: platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking.
2: Hi, my name is David. I'm a motivational speaker and I'm speaking.
0: David, welcome. Thank you for joining us on our podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to uh, hopefully enlighten and educate your listeners on a little bit about my motivational speaking journey and about myself and my disability. Awesome.
0: Well, we are so grateful that you have offered to come on and share your story with us. And yeah, I'm sure that my sister told you a little bit before, and our listeners are very familiar with the fact that this podcast is really about taking the other out of other people, right? And that we don't know anyone's journey until we have heard from them, We'll never really experience anyone's journey, right, for ourselves, but we don't know what other people are dealing with. And the more we can hear stories from the person who's the other, then they're not the other anymore. Then they're, you know, they're connected to us. And so our goal is really to share those
1: stories. You know, the two of us are are women of color and we grew up in a really tiny town. We looked very obviously other. We looked different from everyone in this tiny town in Illinois people don't know about what we went through, right? Like we had friends and we were loved, but they didn't know our real story. And this season we're talking to people with physical disabilities and challenges, both seen and unseen. And for you, I think, you know, someone with cerebral palsy, it's, I think people, you know, they they can see the disability, but they don't understand it. And I think people are are scared. Um, I think it really comes from a place of fear you know, with people with, with physical disabilities. And that's really, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is to speak, not just about your motivational speaking. Cause I know you're an amazing speaker. I've heard, I've heard clips and, and videos, but really of, of, from the beginning, how your journey started with your disability, how it came to be seen by other people and your self-acceptance, and then how you took that out to the world.
0: People with unseen disabilities get, all kinds of psychological, social, emotional trash thrown at them. You know, my, uh, one of the things I often think about, so our, our mom has had a lot of chronic pain for probably almost 30 years of last 30 years, but you wouldn't know from looking at her. um, And she often gets, you know, dirty looks when she parks in the handicapped spot. So, you know, that's one set of things, but then there's sort of people with, visible disabilities and they get another set of trash thrown at them so to be able to talk about those two things in one season and to understand where the similarities are and then also to have compassion on both sides which is you know truthfully nobody in the world has it easy so can we is can we extend compassion to
2: everybody
1: can you tell us a little bit about where your story starts right like where were you born where did you grow up that kind of thing
2: uh, sure. Um, I actually was born in Puerto Rico, and then I went to uh, Florida. Then I was there for a couple of years until I was about eight years old. Uh, from there, I went to Florida, but to kind of um, kind of give you the background of the of how I got there, I had I had a I had my mom my biological mom and my dad. They were together for the first uh couple of years and then they had uh they had different paths in life so then they they kind of went their, their separate ways but uh the beautiful thing about that is um I had co-parents which is my stepmom came into my life uh, my dad's life and then my mom my biological mom had me when she was 16 years old she was a teenager essentially you you think to yourself how can a teenager raise a child with a disability when they have no clue what to do and then after that, my my younger brother was born. So you, you're talking about a mom who has two kids, one kid being physically disabled.
1: How much younger is your, is your brother? Two years. Okay.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, two years.
1: So she's wow. still a teenager when she had yeah. your
2: brother. She's still a teenager. Plot twist, we have different dads. During that time, we weren't essentially I was you know going back and forth between my dad in Puerto Rico and my mom in Florida and then uh during that period of time you know I was I was put in special education classes I was told by uh, when I was born by doctors that I' would be able to read write or walk or much live a norm, much less live a normal life. I would have to be a vegetable and I would have to be, uh basically taken care of 24 7. I was about to turn eight. My mom, unfortunately, she passed away. And unfortunately, I don't know how it happened or why it happened. It's always been a mystery. But I I did have abusive stepdads at the time during that period of time. Uh, And, you know, and living through it and seeing uh, how horrible it is. But at the same time, fortunately, I had a good support system between my stepmom and my, my dad. So they were there for me. My stepmom would always tell my mom, hey, you need to take your son to therapy. Hey, your son needs to go to school. Hey, your son needs this. Hey, your son needs that. Um, she was there even though she wasn't really my mom just yet. Even though my mom didn't see much more of me besides maybe being able to walk. My stepmom kind of took it a step further. And then she was she was there throughout to make sure I had that life I would never have. Um she had to make the decision of being a being a stepmom when my mom passed away uh, on the day of my mom's funeral. Um, wow. She had to. Yeah, she she literally had to choose between uh, living her youth and then having kids later on or taking care of me. And she says she saw so much potential in me that if to leave me behind, it would be just living up. It'd be essentially just leaving a whole life behind. I would never be here today without her. Uh, what I tell other people is she she saved my life. Mm-hmm. Point blank. She saved my life because I wouldn't be here. Who knows where would I be right now? The education system, I went through some discrimination. Just societal pressures of having a disability was rough. And I'm just grateful to be here today.
0: Yeah. That's, you know, it's so amazing you say that. And maybe it's not so amazing. Or maybe it's, maybe we are amazed because we are touched when we hear about someone opening their heart so much when they, maybe it doesn't seem like they would, you're just like your stepmom, right? It's like, she doesn't have any, at that time, didn't have any legal responsibility to you. And yet she was your greatest advocate and really was like, this person, this kid is going to be awesome. We can't just, leave him and say, well, too bad because he has a physical disability, seeing all that potential and having that advocate, I mean, it just shows how, how much of a difference one person can make in other people's lives. So after your mom died, did you move back to Puerto Rico and, or were you in Florida, had they moved to Florida by that time?
2: Well, I moved to Puerto Rico and then because of the education system there at the time wasn't prepared her for, for to be inclusive for those with disabilities. So I would be in a classroom with, you know, in a regular education classroom with the kids that were completely, you know, didn't have any physical disabilities or anything like that. And the teacher would target me. She one day she targeted me and says, I don't want this student in my classroom because he's too slow. He's taking too much time to finish everything. Even though I had A's in the classes, I had, you know, perfect marks on everything couldn't speak perfect English, by the way. When I got to Florida at eight, nine years old, I could speak English perfectly. Like you could even tell I had an accent. But yet still, I was still being discriminated against just because I looked different.
0: And you were, I mean, you were differently able to probably it did take you longer to do things. It sounds like, you know, it wasn't, it, it clearly wasn't a intellectual issue. It was just, your body doesn't move the way other people's bodies move. And so it takes longer. And apparently this one teacher's like, I just can't possibly deal with it. As if like, she was having to like, carry you around.
2: A burden is what they say. Bur-
1: we're just, we're speaking about, you know, we've said the word disability a couple of times. Uh, David, you have cerebral palsy, correct? Yes. Oh, do we do we not say that? At that no, time? I think that's, <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you explain what cerebral palsy is and I know it's also can be a spectrum. It could be, you know, much more severe or or more mild, but um can you explain what it is and then where you fall on the spectrum?
2: Well, I have well, I have cerebral palsy or CP for short. It's actually caused by it's a neurological disability caused by lack of oxygen to the brain. And what, what I was diagnosed was spastic quadriplegic. I was never, like I said, I was never supposed to walk. But fortunately, with the, with the surgeries and therapy and just that determination of, of wanting to walk, I, be, I didn't walk till I was around eight years old. till three months after my mother's death. Because she wanted to see me walk, but she never got, she never got to. And that was that was the only thing she wanted. She wanted to see me walk, but she never expected me to go through school, to go through college, and to live a normal life and to have a career. But I'm now, I'm now. Um, what I do for a living is I'm a youth advocate. I help at-risk teens better their lives and change their lives every day. I work for the city of Orlando, so they have a program called. I don't know if you heard of My Brother's Keeper.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I work, for, it's a, an initiative started by uh, President Barack Obama back in 2014, was it 2008? Long time one ago. Two, long long <laughs> time ago. So um, actually before that, I did AmeriCorps for four years. So I, I served with AmeriCorps and then I transitioned to my village keeper. And what I've done the last two years is just help kids that are, you know, that are basically come from broken homes. They have. They deal with societal societal pressures every day, you know, just fitting in in society just because, you know, the, they may look different or they may live in an environment where it's really hard on them. And so they depend on myself to be kind of like that big brother or that mentor to help them get ahead.
0: Wow, that's so cool. So you work for the city of Orlando. You clearly live in Florida now. I guess, you know, that's not true. With COVID and remote work, I guess you could live anywhere. Um, but I'm assuming you live in Florida. I do. You talked a little bit about what it was like in school and that, you know, your teachers and people were singling you out and, and sort of just like refusing, just saying straight up, like, I can't work with this kid because he's slow, because he his body doesn't move the same way.
2: Oh, and don't let this, don't let the, don't let this physical disability fool you. I'm a, I actually, I'm a three sport, I'm a former three sport athlete and a former three time state champion cyclist here in Florida.
0: Okay. Now, now, now you've just thrown another thing into the mix here. (laughs) So let's, let's take a step back. So I'm going to, I'm going to take away a step back and go back to the cerebral palsy thing. Cerebral palsy. That's what you were diagnosed. No one thought that you would be able to walk. And when you were born you were diagnosed with they called it spastic quadriplegia correct right and clearly that has not been the case for you but you did just say that you weren't really able to walk till you were 8 so tell me a little bit about how cp has sort of shown up in your life what are the main challenges you have some people you know need help walking all the time clearly some people are cyclists So tell me (laughs) a little bit about sort of what have been your main challenges moving around.
2: I would say just um, trying to, I guess, uh, be able to get around, uh, you know, as far as getting to work or anywhere, just because I can't really drive because of the risk of the spasticity acting up when I'm, where to drive, even though I could, but I'd rather not because I wouldn't want to live with causing an accident on the road.
1: Is the is the spasticity? Specific, is that like your body kind of freezes, or it it's you can't you can't, or does it jerk, right?
2: It is it is your body, but it's mostly your muscles. And I do I do tend to jerk, but it's only when I hear like extremely loud noises. Like if I were to hear a bang and I don't I don't see it, I get I jump very easily.
0: I mean that's and that's the thing I would never have known or thought about, right? The, the, the connection between parts of your nervous system and your
2: muscles. Yeah. Like I, I have people that'll, 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 I hear like a bang and I'll jump and people are like, are you okay? They get, they get real concerned. And I'm like, no, it's just my, con- this is my condition. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, they don't, they don't, they don't understand why I jump. They're like, are you, are, did you get scared? I, no, I'm, not, I'm like, I'm not scared. It's just, my body just reacts a certain way to certain noises.
0: So what else like can you sort of lay out for us or lay out for our listeners how does cp show up in your life this is one way what are the other things that are hard for you or what are the how else does your your how else your muscles react in ways where maybe you know someone without cp would not have that experience
2: well um when it comes to doing a lot of uh heavy heavy lifting like i have to uh remind myself that you know there's limitations uh when I walk a lot, you know, when I walk long distances, I rely on a, on a uh, power chair because, you know, because your muscle, your when you're, when you have cerebral palsy, your muscles are on overdrive. So because of the spasticity, you're working three to five times as much just to do something so basic that you all could do. For me, it takes me way longer and I get exhausted quicker. Forget doing yard work. I don't even do yard work. I have somebody do it for me. But other than that, I live fully independent. I live fully independently. Like I cook, I clean, um, I do everything basically on my own.
0: So really, it sounds like your your muscles, your body reacts in certain ways to certain things that maybe people without CP wouldn't, and and that you have to be more mindful about things that will wear that that would would wear anyone out, but will wear you out faster because you're all, you're always trying to manage movement and you're working harder than most people.
2: Right. And, and then the thing with the CP is it, it is not curable, but you can manage it through, through a healthy, healthy diet, a healthy lifestyle, which I, I'm fully devoted devoted to. Like I, I, I work out religiously. I, I do, Six days a week, you know, whether it's just walking, jogging, uh, resistance band training, um, doing you know the the medicine ball, any kind of exercise. And I I used to train people. Uh, when I used to go to the gym, I used to train my best, for example, my best friend. He needed to, he was trying to lose weight, so he actually recruited me, so I helped him lose about ten to fifteen pounds. Just I got onto him and taught him all these different techniques. And it's funny because people reach out to me now. I'm not even certified yet. And people reach out to me to, for workout advice.
0: Well, I think what, one thing that strikes me is that the CP, your, your condition, means that you are so aware of your body in space, right? Your muscles and your physical state and how you're feeling and are you tired or not? And so in tune with how it's gonna react, that it absolutely makes sense that people would reach out to you for training and like physical fitness support. Because I think most people, if you don't have a condition that requires you to pay attention to what your body is doing, we are not aware of our body. We actually don't live in our physical bodies. We live in our heads so much. And then it's like you're training, you don't know what you're doing. You're not paying attention to how you feel, right? You're physically feeling. Um, that makes so much sense for me. So how did you get into that line of work or that line of activity? Maybe it's not work yet, but how did you get into that line of activity? Short of your friend asking you.
2: Well, I got into uh, the fitness uh, when I was around 14, 15 years old. I went to I went to a doctor's appointment and my doctor had uh my doctor had said you know I was living a sedentary lifestyle at the time and I wasn't really doing much in terms of moving or doing any activity and he said to me if you don't change your lifestyle like now you can end up back in the wheelchair for the rest of your life cuz I was supposed to be confined to a wheelchair that's when I told myself I got to start doing something even though I, even though I I would at the beginning I would dread it and I would hate it but eventually I, I learned to see the changes and I was very at the time I was very self-conscious of my cerebral palsy, very self-conscious of my body. I didn't I didn't love myself. I absolutely hated myself. I hated this disability because people looked at me differently. I hated it because you know, you see all these all these boys and then you know at the time you're you're, you're a teenager, and you think about girls and dating and stuff like that. Well, for me it was like you know, no girl wants to date me because I look so different and you know and every time you try to ask ask your girl out, it'd be like, oh, but you're just a friend, but at the same time, you're already thinking they're probably they're signaling you out because you look physically different. And it wasn't until 10 years later when I graduated college that I finally said my my, my stepmom said, said, said something, and she said something along lines of this cane is defines you, this disability defines you. But what you want to remember is people are gonna people are gonna remember you for what you do with it, what you do with the disability. So I, I took it upon myself to just get out there and start, you know, sharing how I've overcome all these obstacles, and just loving myself and embrace myself every day.
0: Well, that's that's so hard for anyone to do. It's interesting that you talk about high school, which is that is the time when everybody is self-conscious about everything about themselves right am i wearing the right clothes did that person look at me weird oh my god i tripped and now people are gonna like that's all they i will be known as a person who tripped like it it doesn't, <laughs> almost doesn't have to do with anything right it's just when you are 14 15 16 you're so self-conscious and all you want to do is fit in and never have anyone remember you for anything different only
1: for be, you know, only for being the most awesome average person there right. is. You you actually want people to be like, oh, I don't remember that person, and then you're like, yes, I did it. <laughs> so you know, David, you we had somebody who was um, a social worker, a school social worker. On, I was remembering like when I was in high school, there was the the special education class, right? That classroom where. They weren't in class with us. They, they. It was almost like they. That class was, just kind of held together, kept together, so they wouldn't hurt themselves or somebody else, right? right. They, they were right. like severely disabled in or mentally or physically, whichever or behaviorally. Uh, were you in a classroom like that? And I know that it's not quite like that anymore. But and I don't know how much younger you are than us, but when. Like, did that change? Was that where were you in a class like that?
2: I, I believe it or not, I started there. I started. I started right there, and um, that was during the time my mom was still alive. Like, uh, I was in special ed for a long time, and 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 it's funny because you, you mentioned that, um, and how I mentioned about my mom earlier and how she wasn't really uh, very self aware and how to how to helped me, um, you know, especially special ed for for a long time, and I, I and then I would miss so many days of school, like astronomical, because uh, you know, my mom wouldn't understand, but I don't really remember much of being in that class. I remember, I um, I do remember my stepmom telling me years later about it, like what it was like, who I had, and 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 that that time now is when I started to familiarize myself with, you know, my surroundings and understand, and I'm still, to this day, I'm still learning about my mom and her past and everything else. You know, we're talking about, we're talking about 24 years later, I'm turning 32 in in about two weeks. And, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's incredible how, how much you learn about yourself and about your your life and your, your family and being in that classroom and seeing where I'm at now makes you realize how how thankful I am for the people around me and how how thankful I am for my for my stepmom to be there for me and getting me out of there
1: I imagine that there is a place for for that type of classroom right that that there are people who their disabilities are so severe that they really, you know, can't learn calculus or or something like that. Is it that like people with cerebral palsy just are not understood that people assume that it is an intellectual disability?
2: Yeah. You, you actually hit the, uh, hit the question right on the mark. A lot of people, uh, when they, when they look at me, they have this misconception of, oh, Cerebral palsy must be intellectual too. And we have to put a stop to that. That's a, that's a that's a uh that's completely false. That is not true. Um like cerebral palsy affects everybody differently. But what I what I don't really what I disagree with is parents shouldn't quit on their kids because they they might not be able to read or write like I can. You know, because I've I've met so many parents that that are, that use kids and I'm like they're capable of so much more. Just keep on pushing. Don't don't listen to what a doctor or some quack will tell you. They're gonna tell you, oh your son's your son's only gonna be able to do this. No. I was told I was I was never gonna be able to read, write, or walk, or live a normal life. What do they know? Only you know. You as the parent know more than the doctor, and I don't get me wrong. I, I respect doctors and professionals heartedly, but sometimes they're wrong. They're wrong, you know.
0: What's What's really different now? I have a son with a I don't know intellectual. No, not really. I guess it's an intellectual disability. He's on the autism spectrum. It's hard to hard to categorize that. But what's really different from when we were going through school versus when our kids are going through school is, you know, school, public schools are now required to put kids in the least restrictive environment for whatever situation they're dealing with. So is it that they can be in a normal classroom with a secondary teacher, not an aid, not a specific aid, but a co-taught classroom where there's a second teacher that's providing additional support. Do they need a one-on-one aid? Do they need Just, you know, what, what would allow them, what would allow kids with intellectual, physical, or behavioral disabilities to be in a classroom that is the most mainstream, for lack of better term, for two, and you know what, I think, Dave, to your point, David, that what we're seeing is when you, when you integrate classrooms, right, that the kids with the disabilities benefit from being in an, in a sort of, I'm going to put, in quotes, normalized environment or a mainstream environment, because you want to be like your peers. Every, every person, every person wants to be, you know, right with their peers. So it's, it, it's really motivational to be like, oh, everyone else in the class is doing this. I better start doing that too. Right. The other flip side of it, which is that people who are mainstream, kids who are mainstream get to interact with and understand what it means to have, a disability, whether it's, you know, CP or autism, or my son was in a, in the classroom with the kids with down syndrome for a while, like just that experience removes a layer of othering, right? This whole idea of like, well, these are special ed kids and they go over there. It's not like that anymore. And there are kids who need a, a, you know, a sort of contained classroom for whatever reason. But the whole point is like, that's the last thing we should be doing, not the first thing we should be doing. And how different things can be when when you try it like that. I imagine that that's what it was, your early education was like that. Did you also have that experience in high school or by that time had it sort of switched to a more least restrictive environment approach? And I only ask that because you're 15 years younger than me and I'm like I have zero idea right. <laughs> what it was like when you were going through high school. Like when did that stuff kick in? I have no idea.
2: Oh I was completely in a regular education class from mainstream to high school. Like no I mean there were there were a few, there were a couple of hiccups on the road, but nothing too major. Like I was, you know, very respected and, and seen as as one by a lot of my teachers and and peers. Um, you know, things went so well in high school that I was actually the first ever uh, rising achiever scholar in my high school's history. Cool. Uh, so, what does that tell you about inclusiveness? Like, it, they were very, they were, oh, op- they were welcome. They were very welcoming and open with, and with open arms. And and I've never been at a and the school was very small, so about six hundred students, and. Being in a smaller school, it kind of helped that there weren't many kids with disabilities, but at the same time, I saw kids in wheelchairs, kids with crutches like myself in that school. And it goes to show you that that school was willing to open up to being more inclusive. At the time, I was the only one with a physical disability at at that school. And because I was there, a lot of the kids with wheelchairs and physical disabilities gravitated towards that high school I was at. Because they saw, hey, he's he's there, my my son or my daughter can go there too, and not, you know, go so alone or, or lost or misunderstood. You know?
0: Yeah. That's I mean, that's that's really cool that your experience was like that and it wasn't, you know, what Kosha and I saw growing up in high school. And also that that you could sort of like pave the way for other people. And the school was receptive to that. I think, you know. Small schools or any school really can be like, ugh, we don't want to deal with that, but it, you know, they, they were, and it almost sounded like it ended up being a little bit of a partnership between you and the school to sort of create space for other people with disability, physical disabilities to come in and have a good experience. Yeah. Now
2: I come back as an alum every year and get to share my story as a motivational speaker.
0: See, that's every awesome. Year. So where did you go to college? Did you stay in Florida? Did you go somewhere else?
2: I did, I went to, uh, well, I did the Direct Connect, which I went to Seminole State College here in Florida, and then I went to UCF right after to do my bachelor's in sociology.
0: And then then did you start working, go to AmeriCorps right after that? Yep. Okay, and then you have been with My Brother's Keeper, so now we have a good time. now. Yeah,
1: now we have a timeline. A good
0: there timeline of what's been happening. Yes. What was, was college harder, easier? Di- obviously it was different what was that like for you
2: oh i can tell you the first uh the first uh, two years were a disaster i mean i was just getting getting used to being in being in school i wasn't really focused mentally because i went straight from high school to college and you know and of course you know it's a completely different environment you have to do everything by yourself um i wasn't as focused at the time because you know it's, I was still thinking of the, having that high school mentality and then I struggle with math for most of most of my life and a lot of it has to do with a lot of you know a lot of the shapes and stuff or you know when you have to do certain math equations I just was never lucky in math. So uh, unfortunately I'm kinda glad I wasn't because I was going into meteorology and I said math's not my strong suit. So um I can tell you this. Um I had to Transitioning from high school to college, I had to learn how to uh basically self-advocate for myself. Tell 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 the the Office of Disability um that I need this, this, and that. You know, and that's one of the things that I touch touch on a lot of when I do my speaking engagements, when I speak with a lot of high schoolers and middle schoolers, is when you're older, you have to learn how to self-advocate because things won't get done if you don't speak up. You have to speak for yourself, and and that's why for these kids that I work with now, I'm here because I'm teaching them how to advocate for themselves, and self advocacy, especially when you have a disability, is like key. If you don't have that sealed down, you're going to struggle. Point blank, you're, you'll struggle.
1: Well, and it sounds like there was a little bit of like you were a big deal in high school, right? Like you were <laughs> a big deal, and you went from being a big deal to like one of how many people who went to college with you so not to say you're still not a big deal but like you went from being a big fish right and now you're like in a sea of people and you kind of are thrown into being your own advocate and that's that's hard that's hard to someone who you know that's hard for anybody i would think
2: then i went to ucf and ucf was a different story actually uh I got, I got there and I, I was like laser focused. I actually said to myself, since I'm here at UCF, I'm going to put all my marbles in one basket. I'm going to put all the pressure of every single person that said, no, no, I couldn't do it. I'm going to put my family on my shoulders. I'm going to put my friends on my shoulders. I'm going to take that, that pressure, all that weight, and we're going to climb that final mountain. And I went through, and mind you, I I was taking Paris Transit at the time, which I'm still now. I used to wake up at 4.30 in the morning.
0: That's tiring, right? Just hearing yeah, it. Every, I don't like it. <laughs> every day.
2: And I used to take three-hour bus rides to get to school. But my first class being at 7.30 in the morning. And then I would be there from 7.30 in the morning till 8 o'clock at night because I had morning in and evening classes. Did that for two years, uh, went through went through freezing weather, walked across that campus multiple times a day. My 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 body got in tremendous shape after walking, because that campus is huge. I mean, we're talking about, UCF is one of the top, one of the, it's almost a city on itself. 60, there it it 61,000 students at the time there.
1: I would just like to point out that Chelsea and I went to the same college, and we the campus was very, very small, and I lived next door to the building that I had my 8 a.m. class in, and I did not make it half the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to roll out of bed and walk there. It probably took me five minutes, and I chose not to go most of the time, or half the time. So I'm just impressed that you, you made it to your 7.30 class.
2: And then after my 7.30 class, I had a brief uh, break, and I would go actually do a, an hour and a half workout at the, at, the, at the university gym. And I'd go back to class. And then I, would, after class, I'd study for a couple hours in the, in the library. And then, uh, of course, I went through the two years there, uh, you know, did everything I had to do. And the day of graduation came. I woke up in the morning. I looked up in the mirror, and it didn't hit me yet. You know, I, I woke up with a with a fever because I got sick right after finals. You know, and I I said to myself, you know, I spent 90, 90 bucks on the on the cap and, I rented the cap and gown. <laughs> I said I'm gonna I'm gonna walk this even even though I feel like even though I feel like death. I remember, uh, you know, they're going to do the procession. My family from Puerto Rico came down to surprise me. My grandma had called me. My grand my grandma had called me on the phone. Um, you know pretending that she wasn't there but she wanted to congratulate me so then i got there and i saw me in the arena and i'm like wait a minute i just called you on the phone <laughs> and so they came down and surprised me i'm getting into the arena and they were doing the commencement uh you hear all the names everybody cheering and then at some point everything just got quiet because people got tired of you know flapping and cheering oh <laughs> it was my turn it was my turn it got really, it was really quiet. Um, you can hear, you can, it was really silent. I was going up the, uh, up to the stage and they asked me, do you wanna take the ramp or the stairs? And I said, at the time I was about to turn 25 a week before Mother's Day. Cause I was born on my Mother's Day. And I said, I waited 17, you know, an expletive, you know, years to get to this point. And, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go up those stairs. And then I take I take this uh I give them my cane I go up the stairs, and going up those stairs, it felt like you were climbing that last bit of the mountain. You know, you're climbing Mount Everest, and you could feel the you could feel the whole you could feel it shake like the every step I took, you could feel it like just crumble from behind me because it was just the culmination of the journey. I got I got up and I told myself, you know what? If nobody che- if nobody cheers, as long as I can hear my family that's all that matters. And, uh, they gave me the cane. I, uh, I took a few steps just to get in the middle of the stage. And I lifted the cane up in the air. And you're talking about 10,000 people in that arena. You could not hear a single, a single thing drop. It was so <laughs> loud that they had to stop the press, the commencement for about five minutes. Cool. And, and I just, I just soaked, I just take it all in. I just remember looking, looking up, you finally you finally did it you you broke through every single barrier that you you had to face in your life and you never quit and um my si said I I didn't do we didn't do this you did this you wanted this you you fought hard for this and uh you know that was one of those moments that I'll never forget and then Two years later, UCF came back and they interviewed me and did the first of two articles and one speaking engagement. I've already done about four different appearances at UCF currently. And I'm about to speak to a group of graduates uh, sometime next year at the university.
0: Very cool. That's such a great story, right? And I think your stepmom's right, which is like you, that's on you. You did all of that. I mean, she wasn't getting up at 4.30 in the morning. She wasn't even getting you up. She wasn't like, hey, David, come on, get up. It's 4.30. You were getting yourself out the door, which I'm trying to get up at six so I can work out at in my house. And I'm still like, oh, no. So it takes, I mean, talk about taking discipline and motivation. That's for in three hours on the bus. Hopefully you got to NAP while you were on the bus. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, I remember, I remember that day hugging my mom after the, the day of graduation and and giving her, giving her the uh, the diploma cover. And I said, Happy Mother's Day. This is for you. And she's like, no, that's 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 yours. And but I I was overcome with emotion. I mean, I just couldn't believe it that I actually made it at the time, you know, after so many people and so many so many things in the way and it they said that for me to make the, make it to college or anything it was pretty much impossible I was never ever supposed to graduate my my mom my biological mom never finished high sc- high school and never went to college and i both my parents my stepmom my, my dad they both uh finished college while taking care of me my my dad was when he finished college i think it was like 20 22, 23, but he, he he raised me while he was going through high school and going through college. And my, now my dad's an artist. My mom's a teacher. And I kind of followed my, my stepmom's, my, well, my family's, specifics. my great-great-grandfather was a, was a professor. My, my aunt was a special ed teacher. My stepmom was a special ed teacher who was a social worker before that. And now you kind of see why I kind of got an education and why I kind of got into advocacy. I got into advocacy because when my my stepmom was a social worker, I used to go with her to some of the houses and meet some of the kids. And it made me realize as years progressed, this is kind of my calling is to help these kids and to, to really be out there and be an advocate for just not just them, but for everybody that needs it.
1: It's interesting because, yes, absolutely, it, everything that you achieve, it, you achieved it, right? Like, no one no one took the test for you. No one, um, you know, took the classes for you um, and all that stuff. But without the advocate of your stepmom, right, it just, it, I understand why you were so emotional with her and you wanted to give that diploma cover to her because you're like, without you, like, nobody else believed in me. So I think part of it is like, if, if no one else is believing in me, then why should I, right? Like, especially if you're, if you know, you have disability or there's something working against you, it's hard for people to believe in themselves when they don't have anything working against them. And then you have something that's working against you in whatever way, right? Socially. And and then on top of that, the, the social aspect of it to have someone be like, no, no, you could do this, you know, and like nudging you forward. That's, that's so vital because it's, it's easy to give up on yourself.
2: Oh, and it it gets even better. Uh, About two weeks later, a friend of mine that I went to uh, UCF with, she contacts me and she says, David, you're in the commencement commercial for the school. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, She sends me the video and, uh, you know, Lord and behold, I'm in the commercial and I've been in the commercial ever since (laughs) I've kind of solidified myself as a, Quote unquote UCF legend, you know. Yeah,
0: you're a celebrity, local celebrity. I'm really curious though, and, and you may see it completely differently, or you may be like, yep, I've made peace with it. But do you feel that that sometimes, or often or ever, that other entities, whether it's your school or wherever, they lift you up because you have a disability. And they're like, look at how inspirational. And not that you aren't inspirational, but at the same time, I can't remember. There was there was some woman who was in a wheelchair. I think she passed away recently, and she and she gave a TED talk, like, I'm not your inspiration, right? Like, I'm just trying to live my damn life. That's a good point. Right. So like you might find inspiration in seeing someone like me who's doing all these things but I'm just trying to live my life, right? So do you ever feel that sometimes you're like, the only reason people wanna make a big deal out of me is because I have this disability and I have done things that normal people do. You know, people who don't have disabilities, they do that stuff and no one makes a big deal out about them. Or you might be like, yeah, that's true. And also I'm at peace with it because it does help other people.
2: Oh yeah, it's like, um it's, it's not just, it's not just the, uh, inspirational, motivational part, but you could even think about, uh, dating, like, you know, dating and relationships. Like every time I would end up getting with someone, people would go nuts. Cause they'd be like, how did you guys meet? She's so like, she's so caring and wonderful for wanting to be with you. <laughs> and like, they make a big deal about it. You know, they make a, they make a huge deal. Like, is she, is she like your, your caretaker? And I'm I'm like, yeah, sure. That's I pay her to be take care of me, and you know, just just because. And I look at them kind of funny, like you know. Personally, I I don't like seeing myself as much of an inspiration. I just like to show people that because you have a disability, it doesn't mean that you can't live in a normal life. Because you can, you can. And of course, I appreciate it with like wholeheartedly that you look you look up to me and as a role model and things like that. But. I just want to show you that your son or your daughter or yourself can do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really awesome view on it. I think, because if you are inspired by seeing someone with a disability, try and lead their, you know, nine to five normal life, then good on you. I'm glad, I'm glad that you were able to find something right. But how, but I that's not what I'm aiming for. I'm just trying to live my not, you know, I'm just trying to do what I need to do, go to work, have a relationship, make di- you know, eat dinner, go work out, whatever it is. Um, and I'm not gonna not it's not like some huge bigger thing because I have a physical disability, right? I think that if you see it and you're like, oh, that's awesome. But like how it's also very demeaning to be like, oh, how nice of her, how nice of this person to date you
1: wow she must be extra like extra special no she's just an old person too she must be so caring like fuck you like maybe i'm just cool
2: (laughs) finally someone said it oh man yeah like uh you know i get the uh oh you're too you're too pretty to be disabled or handsome or whatever and i'm like what is that supposed to be what the
1: fuck does that mean yeah That's, that's a weird statement. That is
0: a weird, that is a very weird thing to say. You're too handsome to be disabled. Well, I'm handsome and I am disabled. So obviously I'm not. Obviously that's not a thing. Wow. And I think it just shows people's, you know, sort of unconscious or unspoken biases about who can do what and who's, who's worthy of what who is worthy of having a loving equal relationship right well right. only people without disabilities if you have disability you better be willing to accept a less than relationship if you have a disability you bet or your kid has a disability you better be willing to accept a less than life for them right instead of so being like no they can i'm gonna push them and it's not gonna it's gonna be different but it doesn't have to be less than.
2: Right. And I, I also got the, uh, I also get people often that'll be like, can I pray for you? Like, uh, can, I, can I? Yeah. I'm i like, I'm like, I'm like, please. I don't, I mean, I, I get it. I, I respect every person's religion. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, against anybody. But when you go as far as to push your religion on me because you want me to, my disability to be cured? That's like that's a big no no.
1: Oh my god! Because
2: not 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 everybody wants to be not everybody wants to be cured. I don't want to be cured. I'm okay. I'm I'm happy with what I have. I, I have no problem with it. And like, and I had somebody one time tell me, "Oh, the reason you're like this is because your your mom your mom did something bad." And I'm like, what, what's that? Su- what's that supposed to mean?" And like,
0: it's a punishment for sin. Is that the implication that you you? You are a punishment, your disability having a child with disability is a punishment for your
1: mom's sin. That's the implication
2: that's what the yeah that's yeah, that's what it is yeah
1: i'm people i don't <laughs> I, I kosha and i
0: you can see clearly how like appalled we are at that, first of all that someone would say think that but say it out loud like do you
2: to my face that makes it worse
0: right that were you saying that and i think look people want pray for you good on them go pray go. <laughs> you know what you don't have to do is tell me about it
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you don't need my permission to pray for me go ahead and pray be my guest just do it over there where i don't have to think about it or hear about it if you want me, if you want my life to be better quote unquote better fine Good. For- i appreciate that <laughs> That's between you and your god i don't need to have a com i don't need to be part of this conversation exactly. right Exactly. but the other part but also this this implication that like
1: that a disability is wrong right that that and it's a repercussion it's a consequence right and that there's
0: something less than about it less than about you because your body isn't able to do things exactly the way mainstream bodies can't and i put that in quotes because it turns out probably no- nobody's mainstream about any.
1: and i would like to say that i am not a cycling anything so like mainstream bodies can go suck it too because like i can't <laughs> do that you know i haven't done that um wow just i can't like the gall of people i i don't Well, And I know, like, I know my husband, somebody that my husband is related to, um, had like a massive aneurysm and he's, he was really, he was in a coma for a long time. He's sick. And someone actually said something about like, well, that must be like punishment for something he did. Right. Like it was a, a, and I'm like, I, well, and this is just me being like, well, that's not a God I want to be associated with that. To to not just say, like, that's something you did, but that's something your mom did. Like, it just blows my mind that someone would, that anyone would, like Shayla, she said, think that and then actually say that to you. Oh, Lord. But um, anyway, let's. (laughs) (laughs) I like, we. it's like two of us have to be
0: like, all right. I know. I have to stop. Blood (laughs) pressure, calm down. Like That's pretty intense. Wow. Okay. So pivoting on that right people are really people are jerks
1: (laughs) that's just one of the
0: basic tenets let's move on from the statement that people are jerks so what what was your 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 inspiration what was your motivation for moving into motivational speaking like what were you what sort of what was the tripwire that you're like you know i think i really need to to do this
2: my my friends and family close to me they would always tell me hey you should you should do motivational speaking. I would be like, um, I don't know if anybody would want to entertain the idea of me sharing uh, my journey because it's not, I I don't feel like it's, it's worthy or it's like so important or people wouldn't want to listen. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was kind of still in between uh, being self-conscious and like, am I ready? And then I, I told myself, you know what, let's go for it. And then my first appearance was happened to be UCF. I mean, I was thrown into the wolves, like right then and there. Like, yeah, a lot of my, my motivation came from my friends and family to start motivational speaking.
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's just having that like support system.
0: Well, well, I was going to say, just, I find it so interesting, you know, the juxtaposition of, you know, us just talking about the woman's name is Stella Young, by the way.
1: Oh, the the Ted Talk? The Ted
0: Talk speaker who is like, I'm not your inspiration. I'm just trying to live my damn life, right, basically. People are like, oh, you're so inspirational because you actually are living your life, right? And then on the other hand, your family's like, you should like share your story. And you're like, "Ah, it's not that big of a deal, right? Like, you're just like, I don't know why my story, I'm just living my life, right? So it's just really funny. Like, I don't think it's that interesting. As we were just talking about that, the juxtaposition of like people being like so weird about dealing, you know, looking at you and you living your life with, you know, disability. And then you being like, well, I'm just doing whatever. I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. I'm trying to go to work. I'm trying to get enough sleep. I'm trying to go to the gym. And then UCF called you in. I keep on see UCSF. Because I taught at University of California San Francisco for like two semesters, <laughs> and so I keep wanting to say that to so Utah at University of Central Florida.
2: Yeah, and the only the only reason I had my first ever appearance was because uh, uh, my girlfriend who I was dating at the time was uh, in charge of Access UCF, which is a club for for students with the uh, different disabilities, and so.
1: And your your ex girlfriend, she must have been like super caring and really really kind. She must have been a saint. I'm sure she must have been, been a saint, saint to date somebody with a disability, right, David?
2: <laughs> oh, she she worked with uh, kids with disabilities at a, a conductive center, so she was kind of very familiar with uh, those with disabilities. And but so. I think
1: I think what's interesting, like I think you have to, we have to like actually dig into the whole inspiration thing a little bit because it's one thing for like everyone. To be like, oh, you're such an inspiration, and and putting you up on posters and and things like that. Like he went to this high school or he went to this college. And your high school and college sound lovely. And 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 puffing their own chest out by using you as like the quote inspiration, and then being an inspiration for people like you who who need that advocate. You not wanting to be used as an inspiration but being an inspiration for those you know youth um, those uh, disadvantaged youth and stuff like that who like need someone to look up to which is what you have become that's that's a good point I wanted to dig into something um I just I noticed that you know we're a podcast uh hosted by two sisters obviously um you have a brother you have a younger brother and i've noticed like i looked i was looking at your uh facebook or something and you know you have a bunch of pictures with your brother he is um I, what do you call like what do you call someone who doesn't have disabilities then like able-bodied what do you call them
2: yeah, wanted, yeah able-bodied. yeah
1: okay. so he is able-bodied and you um you're a couple years older you seem to be pretty close
2: oh yeah we're we're like Close, close, like super, super tight. And uh, the backstory behind that is uh, when our mom passed away, we kind of were estranged. We went our separate ways because we had different dads. Uh, we lost communication for for, for years. I mean, we, we'd, we'd communicate on and off. Uh, we see each other as kids. And um, when our mom passed away, the goal of my stepmom was to keep us together, my brother and I together. And he wanted. He wanted to. He wanted to stay with me. And one day, when his dad came to pick him up, she, she, he took him, and he was just bawling. He was bawling. He wanted to be with me. He wanted to stay with me. Like, and she wanted to. to she, she pleaded with her his dad to adopt to be able to, to adopt him. And he said, No, that's my son. I don't want you to adopt him. And so we were communicating on and off. And it wasn't until I was. Uh let's see I got into UCF in 24, so I was twenty four. So it was 24 and it was twenty-two that we finally got together and reunited, you know, fully and we've been stuck ever since. And uh fast forward five fast forward five years after that, um, he came to hang out with me one day and we sat in the car and I look at him and he's real being real quiet and I'm like, What's going on? Why are you so quiet? He's like, David, I've been meaning to ask you this for a long time and and I don't know if you're if you're going to say yes to this, or if you're going to say no, it's okay if you say no. And he says, do you want to be the best man at my wedding? And I tell, I tell him, no,
0: I hate you. Go away.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would have said that, but you know, you know, I said, I said, you know, the only thing mom would have wanted is for us to be together on this day. And uh, of course I said, of course, yes. And um, then fast forward to the wedding a couple months later, I remember walking. I remember before I was, I was behind, you know, the room. Before I walked down the curtain, his wife looks at me, and my sister-in-law now, and she says, "You better not drop the ring. I'm going to kill you." And and, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, "Don't worry about it. I got you. I'll I'll make sure that that ring doesn't fall."
1: Also, way to put the pressure on. Damn, like I wasn't going to drop it before, and now I'm scared. (laughs) I would also be
0: like, people entrust three-year-olds and dogs. To take the ring down the aisle, I think I can manage it. I'm oh, yeah, a fully grown this. ass adult. Right? <laughs> I'll figure it out. But it's just funny that like, like that was a big concern, right? Oh my god!
1: Also, if you drop the ring, you just pick it up. It's fine,
2: right? <laughs> you know, you know she, she was she was just uh, she was just joking, but you know, um, but I, I I remember walking down the aisle and and giving them the ring and it was it was awesome and then to do the best man speech that was probably the toughest speech i've ever done i've ever done in my life because i uh i started you know just saying you know how proud of him i was and and how everybody in this room has become so supportive he never went to he never went to college but he he worked he worked and he, he developed some skills in it that he works for the top for one of the top three companies in the world for Unity Software Solutions working with the military. Um he closed he closed down on on a deal with NASA worth almost two million dollars. And he, he's only 29, so he 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 hired, he's at the high, high part of the company. So he's like, you know, and so um, I was proud of him. And and I said, you know, everybody in this room is proud of you. Your grandma's proud of you, but there's somebody here in this room that's missing that's even more proud of you than i am and that's that's our, that's our mom and i remember after that i can i, I can't speak anymore my emotions just i i lost it i mean i i literally lost it i mean i was bawling to the point where he literally got up out of his chair and his wife and they we just hugged for a good 5 minutes because i just couldn't i just because it was it was rough i mean c- You imagine you having to be walking down the aisle to to your brother and our mother not being there.
1: Did he have a a different relationship with your mom being able because you said like your your mom didn't see a future for you? Did he being able-bodied, did he have a different relationship with her?
2: I honestly don't remember like much of that. All I know is is, is the, he, he lived with his dad, so I'm assuming. But he, but he he did it all himself. Like I mean, he he uh, he went through life on his own. His wife uh, kept him on the right track because without without her meeting him in high school, he was going down the path of depression and 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 drugs and and drinking and and he just but his wife pulled him out of there. And I said you know, there, if there's one, she, you may not have had an actual mom after mom had died, but if there's one person that saved you and saved your life, that's your wife. She's your guardian angel. She's sitting next to you. And there was not, there was not a dry in the room when I said that. I mean, they weren't, they weren't expecting that. And, you know, everything I said was true. And, and, um, that stand is one of the best best moments of my life so far, but one of the one of the toughest ones, too, because you know, we're missing one person in that room, but I know that deep down inside, she was, she's proud of us, and now I have my first niece, you know, he just had his first daughter and I, I'm an uncle now, and so it's it's awesome. Oh, Yeah.
0: That's, that's really awesome. I think it also, it's so clearly shows, right, that You you had your stepmom who was an advocate for you, and believed in you and pushed you and you know sort of like she was the one that that gave you that that hope right like she believed in you. Well, if someone believes in me, I can I can do this. I can totally do this. Why shouldn't I be able to do it? And you know to counteract that, your brother being having having starting at you know starting at the starting line with with no disability with no issues just, you know, fully able-bodied, struggled because he didn't have that support. He didn't have that person being like, I see you. I see where you need to go, and I know you can go there, right? And and so just like how I'm going to maybe make an assumption here, but you can tell me if I'm wrong, that that is a lot of what like Boys and Girls Clubs and Big Brother, Big Sister and My Brother's Keeper, all of those organizations, that is like the central tenant there, which is one adult who believes in you and you know is like there for you can make the difference between, you know, a path that of despair and a path of hope.
2: Yeah, I, I I definitely I definitely agree. You know, it's always that one adult that really makes uh really makes a difference in, in our lives. And that would have been my stepmom. And she's he has this she... She just had this big heart and she really wanted my brother to be with me, you know, growing up. And we never we never got to really have a childhood together. But as as adults, it's been it's been awesome. Like we've always had that close knit relationship ever since we were kids. Like even though we were we were estranged. There's always that that thing that just gravitates back to you. And, you know, we there was never any blame for anything. He never and uh the only person I really talk to is my my brother because my mom's our mom's side of the family, they completely alienated us. They, I lost that side of the family due to inheritance. There was a lot of hate and malice towards my brother and I. I don't want you in my son. I'm like I don't need you. I don't need you. I got my brother and I got my 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 stepmom and I have my dad. I have. Two wonderful sisters too that from my, my my stepmoms side, who are wonderful by the way. you know, I'm just grateful to have the life that I have now and to have my brother with me that makes it a whole lot better.
1: was there ever any you know like I shales and I are are well you you talk about you and your brother, I think shales and I are at that close, right we're we're best friends and we do so much together. Um, but growing up there was a lot of comparison, right? was was being was there comparison between you and your brother like him being able bodied you not or you being um you know like really intellectual or or going through high school and college and he didn't like was there was there that or did you just put that all out of your mind and you just had a relationship together
2: oh yeah we just had a relationship together like there was no no difference although he didn't he didn't go to college he, he he self he self-taught himself he he worked for he he built the skills in i t and did it all himself and he became super successful and now he's got a family and you know and i'm proud of him for for doing what he needed to do he he grew up uh and i i hate the i hate this the comparisons but comparing him to his father he's he's a better man than his own father was even even my own brother told me you know from personal experience like he never really had that father figure that was there
1: i think it's amazing that your stepmom was willing to adopt him she seems to be a saint she's the she's the one who's like goes above and beyond it's that's really incredible
2: i'm truly grateful for everyone and everything that i've had and you know it's just the 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 whole key to the story is don't do the book book, its cover and always believe in yourself no matter what you face in your life.
0: So David, what's, what's next for you? Where do you think, where would you like to go next? Like, what would you like to explore? What would you like to do? What, what's, you know, what site do you, what accomplishment do you have your site set on for now.
2: For next. We'll have accomplishments. So the first one being right now I'm in the process of uh, working with, with a coach to prepare me for my first ever TEDx up in Jacksonville next year. So that's that's uh, one of the goals. And the second one is this uh, this October, I've been working with the City of Orlando Commissioner and making World CP Day an actual day for the City of Orlando. Basically in the city's history. They've never had that. Uh, you... You hear about mental health and you hear about autism, the days are recognized. But you hear about cerebral palsy, and it's the most common disability in the United States. And my main goal is to get make that into a day and make people, you know, realize that it's it's there and it's a real thing, and it deserves recognition. People people with cerebral palsy deserve to be recognized for their accomplishments and for who they are as individuals.
0: Oh, absolutely. That is so cool. How did that happen? How did that come about?
2: The commissioner?
0: Well, yeah. So how did that, you know, how did, how did it start? Is it because you were working for the city of Orlando and that was a conversation you were having? Or sort of how did that, how did those seeds get planting?
2: Funny, funny story. I was working uh, the summer camp uh, last, last year. And he had happened to come on and I was, I was pretty much done with my, with my shift. And he saw me, and he's like, David, I remember you from, from AmeriCorps a couple years back. And, and uh, you know, we spoke, and then he told me that his his, uh, his mother has cerebral palsy. And then I sa- I told him about all the things that I would do with the podcasting and motivational speaking and all these things. And he said, he said David, you know, I could use somebody like you, and I would love to ha- meet with you and sit down with you to see if we can come up with some ideas to help the city, because I'm trying to... Make it more accessible, and I feel like it'd be perfect for for the team. And we've been working ever since. You know, we we're right now working on uh, installing the automatic doors everywhere in the city, making it mandatory mandated. So every door, whether you whether you're going to a gym, a school, anywhere, is gonna have be more accessible. Um, we're working on adding heaters toward for the rec centers also to bring in trainers that specialize in different disabilities to help people, you know, get in shape, stay fit. And of course the proclamation. So, uh, I'm excited for what the future holds for the city and for, for everybody.
0: That's fantastic. That's, re- that's really awesome. Wow. Um, yeah, I think yeah, yeah just increase accessibility, right. And, and creating that awareness of, you know, and we spoke with, you know, the, I'm linking this back now. We spoke with a architect recently who taught, and a lot of the work that she does um, is designed for people with um, disability. She, I think she largely focuses on mental and like uh, behavioral Neurodiversity, Yeah, Neurodiversity, right. yeah. But the one thing that she kept saying, and I think that has really resonated with us, with Kosha and I, is that by helping this group of people, you actually help all groups of people, right? Um, that accessibility for some is better for all. So it's it's not just the people who, you know, explicitly benefit from this accommodation or this, you know, increase in accessibility. It's better for everybody, you know, both on, a, on the level of like, maybe you don't know everyone who has disability or when you design spaces so that everyone can be there, that itself is a like that's valuable in and of itself, that everybody can be in that space, that public space where they're where they have a right to be. people have a right to be in all these spaces. we need to we need to create ways for people to be in those spaces and not exclude people. so
1: absolutely
2: right. And that's where we come in right. And that's where ourselves we come in and do. Just just be just like I'm advocating. That's where we all come in and advocate for everybody else together.
0: So the second to last question that we're gonna ask you, because we always ask everyone this, is you know, what advice would you have for somebody? What advice do you have for somebody who's in your position or dealing with another physical disability? Maybe it's not CP, maybe it's something else. Um, or flip side, someone who is you know particularly like a parent who is facing the diagnosis of their kid and is afraid of what's coming next
2: well um one thing i could tell you is it might be difficult at first and it might be hard to 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 hear and to swallow but um you got this and everything is going to be okay i mean all you got to remember is as long as you put your foot forward and don't let someone give you unsolicited advice and tell you tell you things that you feel like they're they're great and you feel like it's the end of the world, things can change. Things can change. Like you know, like for me, like I mentioned earlier, like sure a doctor a doctor's gonna tell you, oh your son can't read, write or walk. But uh you know you you gotta realize there's much more than just that. I mean, if you really believe that your son or your daughter can do this or can do that, that's that's you. You can make it happen. Not some doctor, not anybody else. You can make that happen as a parent. Don't don't give up on your kid and don't give up on yourself if you're dealing with a disability. You can do this. You can pull through it. You know? You know, the whole the whole a whole, you know, like my my stepmom used to tell me, my, my pity box is broken. <laughs> don't, don't don't feel sorry for yourself. No, don't feel sorry for yourself. Just if you fall if you fall flat on your face, get back up and keep on going. You know, do you ever, do you know how many times I fell flat on my ass and I had to get back up and keep on going? A million times, and I and I still fall flat on my ass to this day, and I still keep. Uh, keep going.
1: I love it. And speaking of that, I love your, your stepmom. I swear, to God, I need to meet this woman. She seems amazing. I like uh, Pity Box. So, our next question is uh, our last question being that, like, what's, you know, what's some of examples of your personal family? We've talked a lot today about like found family, right? Like your stepmom and your. Uh, brother's wife who like saved you know saved him in a lot of ways um like an example is pity box can you give any other examples of like f- your family act in your life
2: you know that that is that is probably the the one question that has stopped me this entire i've never had a question like that before but i'll try to answer it as well as i can i mean i, I don't really have any like particular words or phrases
1: i bet you you do you just can't think of them because they sound so normal
2: yeah to you to me yeah
1: it doesn't it's not strange and it's not weird and it's
0: unless someone else hears it right and I think that's the thing which is I mean Kosha interviewed me a while back and asked me about my family and I was like oh good lord but it's also like how am I going to tell my sister about family we've had family going back
1: 43 years yeah
0: 43 <laughs> years right Um, and that's, I bet that's what's going on. Like Kosha said, you have got to have something with your family, some silly thing, some nickname, some phrase that someone misheard that you would never think about because it's such a part of your vocabulary with them. But if you can't think of something right now, that's also fine. That's
1: okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, pity box is one of them because I've never heard it called that. Like I, I, my pity box is broken. I've never heard it called that, but like your, your stepmom used to say that So you, when someone says something about a pity box, you know exactly <laughs> what she's talking about. And I'd be like, oh, I think I could figure it out, but I don't know. Yeah. That counts. You have been awesome. Like I love, yeah. thank you. So yeah. Thank you for coming on.
0: Yeah. It's been the joy to talk to you
1: forget everyone who wants to like put you on a poster and make you an inspiration for them. But like, you are inspiring people, the kids who really, really need it and, and learning how to self advocate. And I think that's, that's so key. That's is huge, to yeah. yeah. To advocate for yourself.
2: Well, I, I definitely appreciate you uh, giving me the time here on this, on this episode to really just hash out different topics. and And I've had a wonderful time. Like it's been yeah. fun.
0: We're happy to hear that like that for us, that's the best compliment we could get from a guest is I had a good time and it was fun. So and and I think we didn't Kosh and I didn't rib each other as much this episode as we sometimes have. <laughs> um, but we would like to think that because we are close and so comfortable with each other, that our vibe is, you know, warm and inviting and pretty low key and it doesn't feel very formal. And so I think people hopefully people can relax and just talk and not feel like they're being interviewed.
1: Right. Be themselves.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Like my, my brother and I are like, uh, his wife has to stop us from doing stuff all the time. Cause we, <laughs> we always, we always get into trouble every time we're together. We like, always come up with something like you two better you two better stop. Uh, you know? And we're like, you're the designated driver. It's okay. You, know, you can drive us <laughs> home. Yeah. And so we, we just, we just have too much fun or, you know, we'll pull we'll pranks on each other.
1: David, thank you so much. You've yes, been thank, you. thank you, thank you so much, and thank you have you. a wonderful evening.
2: Thank you too. Thank you. Appreciate. Bye. It.